0: everybody. We'll make our way back to our seats. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter one, or we'll have the text on the screen as well, or your app, whatever you prefer to read along with. This morning, we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. So if you're new with us, you've, you've not missed much. So don't feel like you're behind. We're just at verse 15 of chapter one. One of the reasons we're looking in the book of Ephesians is because We see this picture of what it means to actually live out of the gospel, the good news that Jesus is reigning over all things and for the good of his people, and what that means to be the church. So we like to say that our mission statement as a church is to make the real Jesus known to the broken, the burnout, and the bored. What we mean by the broken are people who feel like there's just something fundamentally wrong with them. Maybe someone that's weighed down with a lot of shame, not just I've done wrong, but I am wrong. And so who cares? Why should I even try? We believe Jesus doesn't write these people off, and we are these people. And so we believe Jesus invites such to his table to find out that it's okay to not be okay. But you don't have to stay that way. But also that the good news comes to the burnout. What we mean by the burnout are those people, many who have been a part of churches. And yet they feel like all they've ever heard is that Christianity is just do better and try harder. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Just, just do, just get with the agenda, just be active in certain activities, just do the right things. Make yourself look good. Fake it till you make it. And to be honest, many of us, maybe even in this room this morning, that's why we have a sour taste in our mouth when it comes to the church is because we believed the lie that Christianity is mainly about what we do instead of what God has done for us. So we believe the real Jesus says that Christianity is not primarily about a list of rules to be followed, but it's about a joy to be found in a relationship with the true and living God. But also we want to see the real Jesus made known to the board. Now what do we mean by that? The board are the people who think, well, is all Jesus here to do is to change my Sundays and then maybe my one day? Is it just Jesus kind of as a ticket to heaven and now the rest of my life i just kind of got to clock in and clock out and... Live this meaningless everyday existence? Now we believe Jesus comes to tell us the good news is he's not just come to change your Sundays, but your everyday. Because he reigns over all things, he is with you. And that our identity as the church is not primarily a location or an event or something we put on a schedule, but it's who we are together in Christ. And the book of Ephesians ties these things together so well. And so we're going to continue this morning. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23. not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we ask you now to open our eyes to do what we've read, enlighten our hearts, Holy Spirit, so that we might know you more deeply today. We pray, God, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, and comfort us where we need to be comforted, and challenge us all to pursue a a deeper vision of Jesus, exalted and reigning for the good of his people. We ask this in his name, amen. If you've ever seen a house being built or a large construction taking place in a city, you'll notice that the beginning of it can look really slow. So we think out loud here sometimes. So why does the beginning part of a construction sometimes look slow or even if nothing is happening? What's going on in that beginning process? A foundation is being laid. All right, and if a foundation is being laid, what direction normally does the building have to go first? Down. All right, this is very important, right? If a building is going to be, let's say, a healthy building, If it's going to be a strong building, if it's going to be a building that stands, is the higher it's going to go up, the deeper the foundation has to go down. The stronger that it's going to be able to stand, the deeper the foundation has to be rooted. This is why many Christians and many churches don't stand. While we fall, is because we're all about building up. We're all about building out. We're all about what can be seen, and so often we rush to that without realizing that the strength for us to stand is only going to be in connection to the depth of our hearts. When it comes to following Jesus, we often settle for the surface and the shallow instead of the depths of what He wants to be for us and who He is for us together. So why do you think we do that? Why, why as followers of Jesus or why as churches, do you think we sort of go for the quick, go for the surface, and go for the shallow so easily? It's easier? Looks good. What, Hannah? We've been taught to do this, right? Let's get it done. What else? hard, isn't it? It's hard to go down. That's why it's slow, slower sometimes, right? You might see in a city a large skyscraper going up or a house and it's like, man, are they ever going to build this thing? It's hard to dig and go down. What else? It's so much easier created cultures, haven't we, in churches where we just say, let's all just agree to keep it right here. A couple other things is because we live in a culture of speed. Right? We want to see things happen. We want to see things happen fast. And we really don't give ourselves or others much of a window to prove themselves. It's like, I need results. Right? We need smart goals. Smart goals aren't bad, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant time-sensitive. Those are good, and those can be helpful, right? But sometimes it's like, hey, I don't care. Just get it done. It's in our own hearts. It's in our families. It's, it's in our culture. This, If you don't realize it, this is the air that you breathe. is a culture of speed. That's why we're all holding these things in our hands, right, that I hold in mine every day, right? It's, I can, it can make things happen fast. I can have a thousand relationships at this level, and maybe none at a level of depth. It's also a lot easier just to ignore people. It's also a lot easier to ignore what's going on in my own heart than to actually do the work. It takes a lot of time, and it's really messy. The good news for us today, and we'll see this more as we go, that we all stand on, because we're all just kind of admitting that, or if you're not admitting that, then Maybe you should. That you're, you're in this culture of speed. We're addicted to just getting stuff done. It's the good news is God is not here to condemn us because of that. He's here because he's a good father who loves us. And just to share the gospel with you right here at the beginning. is that he sent his son Jesus who actually didn't live addicted to the surface and the shallow and the speed of life. Jesus was so eternally secure and eternally deep that he could just walk from town to town. That he could get away and spend time with the Father, even when there were many other important things that needed to be done. He could lose followers. Ultimately, he could be crucified upon a cross because he wouldn't play the game of appearance. This is good news for us because that's not something Jesus has just done out there. It's something he's done for us in here. But for us to stand as a church, we must go deeper in the gospel. We've got to own that. If we say disciples are those who follow Jesus, as those who submit all of our lives to the lordship of Jesus, as those who worship Jesus or being changed by Jesus and helping others grow and be changed by Jesus, then we need to follow his way and All of the scripture points to his way, and so in Ephesians here, we see at least three ways that we can go deeper in the way of Christ so that we stand as his people, and the first way that we go deeper is we go deeper in our expression of love for one another. Notice Paul expressing his love for the church here, and why does he do this? He says, "'For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus,' and your love toward all the saints. Now, what are some things that typically get bragged on in the Christian world? What are the things that maybe on surface level, let's say, we can get excited about? Numbers? Baptisms? Programs? Activities? Bigger buildings? Jackson? Swimming pools? I like swimming pools. Thank you, Jackson. Yeah, on this fourth week, we... All the other weeks, our children are in a class, but they're in here with us, so participate with us, students. Yeah, none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but the problem is is we just want to hang out there. But notice, Paul, what is he excited about? Their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for one another. He's not saying, wow, Ephesus, y'all have got the, the most killer programs, the most... Killer facilities, the the man, y'all just got the best, the best swimming pools. He says, man, y'all, y'all have a faith in the Lord Jesus. And we that might just sound, we might even hear that with a shallow hearing this morning. Do you realize how costly it was for them to have faith in the Lord Jesus? Who's Lord for the Ephesians? Caesar's Lord. To profess that Jesus was Lord at this time was not like it hears in the religious South, where we're just sort of like, yay, I say Jesus is Lord, and now everybody's happy for me. To say Jesus is Lord in Ephesus is an act of political revolt. Saying, Caesar is not my Lord, there's another king who rules and reigns over my life. This wasn't cheap faith, this was a deep faith. Because you didn't play around. It was costly. But also their love for the church. This also wasn't cheap, right? I mean, this morning, hopefully, if you're new here, you were greeted, you were welcomed with love. And hopefully in most churches, if you go to be a part of the church, people are going to be happy for you. You're going to have friends who are even unbelievers, family members. who are they're going to be glad- like, man, I'm glad you're in church. I'm glad you finally got back in church. Well, just like following Jesus, to identify yourself with the people of God, the local church at this time, was to be super weird. This wasn't culturally normal or acceptable. It was to align yourself with the people who, who people didn't understand. They accused them of being cannibals because of the Lord's Supper, right? What are y'all doing? They're going over here and meeting in homes and eating someone's flesh and blood? You're worshiping a guy, you say, who rose from the dead and one day is going to return on a horse? Have y'all lost it? But they loved one another. They were willing to be ridiculed, rejected by the world because they said, hey, this is my family. These are my people. I love them. This is why Paul expresses his love for the church. And how does he express it? He doesn't cease to give thanks for them, remembering them in his prayers. It's easy for us to criticize one another. It's easy for us to point out what's not happening with one another. But we also have to make sure that we give ample time and more time to give thanks for one another. The phrase we use around here for that often is evidences of grace. Where do you see evidences of God's grace in other people? And do you take the time to celebrate those? When you pray for people, do you remember people? Are you just praying your projects? Are you just praying your problems? Are you just praying everything through the perspective of your own kingdom? Or are you saying, you know, I remember these faces, these names. See, Paul here is going deep in his expression of love for the church. This is not... Surface level. It's not because of buildings, bodies, budgets, and bling. It's because of their faith and love. That's what excites them. I we used to live near Memphis, and Memphis, Tennessee, is kind of known for its barbecue. I don't know if any of you people are there. So we went, where should we go? You always ask, going in Memphis, where should we go eat barbecue? And somebody told us the restaurant to go to. I won't name it in case it's like somebody in here's favorite. This isn't totally gonna be bad. We went to the to the restaurant and I ordered the ribs. because That's my favorite barbecue item. And I got these ribs and I was biting in them and they were they were just so tough. I mean, you know, like any halfway decent rib, even if it doesn't have a good flavor, it's going to be fall off the bone. I was eating this and I think, you know, I'd rather be at McDonald's eating a McRib sandwich. Right, this is horrible. No offense to McDonald's either. If y'all know me. I like McDonald's. But anyway, I'm one of those billion people. Don't judge me. Some of you already have, right? Love for the saints. And I left, and I remember some my buddy who told me to go there, asking like, "How'd you like it? Wasn't it awesome?" And I was like, "Actually, I, I've had a lot better better than that." And he says, "We well, got the you got the barbecue pork sandwich, didn't you?" I was like, "No, I got the ribs." He's like, "Oh man, you're not supposed to get ribs there." You're supposed to get the pork plate or the pork sandwich why because that that's what that restaurant was known for and i've learned now that if you're going to a restaurant it's not just about going to a restaurant in general it's about knowing the particular items on the menu that it's known for and it's good for and good restaurants normally don't have a menu that has like fifty thousand things on it that they do mediocre right? It's like they may have options, but there's one or two things like I got to get the burger there. I got to get the steak there. I got to get the barbecue sandwich there. What I think Paul is saying here is there's lots of good things that a church can be known for. There's lots of things that a church could do, but if we're going to do one or two things well, let's do these two things well. Let's celebrate these two things deeply. The faith that we have in Jesus as Lord and the love that we have for one another. So Matthew's Table Church, right? Who cares what else we're known for? As individual Christians in here this morning who may never we may never see again, who cares what you're known for if you're not known for the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that you have for his people? This is the type of culture we want to cultivate in our lives as Christians and as a church. And the way that we do it, Paul models for us here, is we have to celebrate it, and we've got to pray it. We've got to celebrate where we see deep but not cheap faith, where we see people going deeper into God's Word, where we see people wanting to know not just what they believe, but why they believe it and why it matters, and where we see people going out into the world, and even at great cost saying, of all the other rulers, principalities, powers in this world, My life is submitted to Jesus as Lord. I want to give you an opportunity, those of you who have maybe been around more, right now, where maybe have you seen people within our life together growing deeper in the faith that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Put you on the spot a little bit. Uncomfortable silence. Seen the fight that's it, like, awesome, that's great. If y'all don't know what Fight Clubs are, first rule: of Fight Clubs. We don't t- tell you, <laughs> no, kids, and don't watch that movie. But uh, so, Fight Clubs: groups of three to five girls or guys who get together on a regular basis to fight sin and suffering through the Word. So, like right now. Johnson's Fight Club going through First John, reading it together, and then saying, how does this speak to our everyday lives? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see, like he said, both men and women, right, equally being led and equipped and developed to lead and equip and develop others deep in the Word. Any other places where we see faith? a lot of faith doesn't it to say I want to reorient my life to where I believe that I can live out following Jesus as Lord where do we see love because he's celebrating love here as well again not, not cheap love but deep love where have we seen God at work among us that we can celebrate right what are some examples of that yeah I think we could go on and on. We've, we've seen people step up and help other people pay the taxes. We've seen several people living with different people at different times when they needed to. We've seen home repairs. I came home one time, and a couple of the guys had fixed our commode because I can't hardly change out a light bulb. I, I think we think sometimes when we do s- celebrate things like this, that it's kind of like we're trying to brag. But I just just want to challenge that. We live in a culture of negativity, right? You just turn on the news. We live in a culture of negativity, and all of us are not only being sucked into this culture of speed, we're being sucked into this culture of competition, comparison, negativity, but we want to be a counterculture to that. We want to be a culture of love not just love in theory, not just friendliness where we shake people's hands on a Sunday morning and say, oh, I love you, and then we all go on our own ways and bear our own burdens. But the reason we exist is we really want to believe that through the power of the Spirit, we can live like the New Testament church lived, imperfectly and yet pursuing the perfect Savior who shows us the way. And so for any might say, well, that sounds awful inward focused. Let's be reminded that Jesus tells us that they will know that we're his disciples by the love that we have for one another. But the reality is no unbeliever walking off the street in this morning is going to buy the fact that we love one another because we're nice at a church service. Right? They've all been there and done that in the religious south. They know, right? That that Christians know how to fake it as well as anybody. But when they see us go out and live out a love for one another, and the stuff of everyday life, there could be no greater attraction than that. That's better than the best band. That's better than the best building. That's better than the best programs. If we want to show the world who Jesus really is, then we will go out and love one another and say, we would love for you to be a part of this family. And we're actually going to go ahead and love you like family before you are family. We let this sink, and we can say of one another, I've heard about your faith. So we go deeper in our love, but we also must go deeper in our experience of the gospel. This is what verses 17 through 19 are saying. What is the purpose Paul is praying for them? So we saw this reason he's praying for them. Right? They, go, they go deeper, their love for one another, but now he's prays they would go deeper in their understanding and experience of the gospel. So, what is he praying, verse 17? That the God of our Father, the God, the God our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So, notice here, Paul is speaking to Christians. We believe that Christians, as one is united with Christ, then becomes a person who is given the gift of the indwelling presence and person of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is saying here, he's not saying, well, you didn't have the Holy Spirit, and I'm praying that you have the Spirit. Now, how do we know that? Because Paul's already called them saints, and the saints are the holy ones of God. The saints are those who now have become the tabernacles and temples of the Holy Spirit. So Paul would be contradicting himself to say, hey, you're the saints, you're the Holy Spirit-filled ones of God, and now I'm praying that you get the Spirit. Now, what Paul is praying here is not that they would have more of the Spirit, but that the Spirit would have more of them. That the Spirit would reveal to them a deeper knowledge of who God is and what He has done in the person of Jesus Christ and then who they are in Christ. And so verse 18 just sort of unpacks this for us. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. He's praying that the Spirit would enlighten their hearts. That there's truths that they have in here, if we want to think about it this way. There's truths they have in their head. There's doctrinal statements that they would agree with. There's things like, I believe God's in control. I believe God is the greatest satisfaction in the world. I believe God's approval matters more than anyone else's. And I believe that I'm valued by God regardless of the success that I have in my life, right? We all got that down in our heads but probably none of us is scoring 100 on that in our hearts, ever. What Paul is praying is that the Holy Spirit will take those truths and shine them not just in their heads, but deep into their hearts. And What is it? It's the gospel. Notice, what's the purpose? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And that you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. There there are gospel depths to be mined there. None of us in here has tapped out on hope. None of us in here probably right now saying, I'm just so full of hope, I'm going to bust. I need less hope. No, we need the Holy Spirit to to drive hope deep in us. None of us are all in here right now saying, you know what, I'm just so wealthy. I'm just so rich. I've got it so good. I mean, yeah, my bank account might be a little low, but I've got a glorious inheritance in the saints. No, what do we need? We need the Holy Spirit to come to us, don't we, and say, look at what's all yours in Christ. None of us in here are probably feeling overly powerful. Like, man, I just got life on lockdown. You know, it's my world. Everybody else is just living in it. It is under control. If you do feel that way, then there's other issues at work. What Paul is praying is that the Spirit would show you the access to the power of Christ that you have within you. This is amazing. I was reading this week, thinking about this, and found an AP article about earthquakes, of all things. I was talking about how shallow earthquakes actually cause more damage than deeper earthquakes. There's really interesting stuff in earthquake knowledge saying a shallow earthquake just hits with this immediate big bang, right? And so it's kind of like a bomb going off under the city. It, It hits strategically, it hits closely, and it has this high immediate visible impact. But a deep earthquake, although it may not have such an immediate visible impact, is felt far wider. Its effect, although it may not be as shocking at first, has a great breadth and depth of impact that is working behind the scenes. As affecting change far more deeply than the moment. I want to ask you a question. Which kind of Christian do you want to be? Which kind of disciple do you want to be? flash in the pan, bam, a lot of big bang? Or do you want to be the one who doesn't, doesn't just impress people with your head knowledge, doesn't just impress people with your flurry of activity, but a person who takes the time in their life to let God's word go deep? We've got to ask ourselves that as a church. Do we want to think, dream, plan, and to just be like, bam. Or do we want deep impact that doesn't settle for surface, shallow, seasonal acts, the deep-rooted gospel change? So You've got to ask yourself, are you content with just content? Are you content to just have content? Paul's not. The Spirit's not content for you to just master content. He wants to change you at the level of your heart. And that isn't going to happen overnight. I can't give you a 12-week Bible study to make that happen. What this is going to ha- take is for you to to engage your life as a journey of spirit-dependent, abiding in Christ. So we're going to have to have a big theology of the Holy Spirit. Depending on your background, it's going to be harder for you than others. But for those who are from a, a, a tradition that may be less dependent on the Spirit, you may have to confess if, if your view of the Trinity is basically, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scripture. We have a high value on God's Word. If you don't know, we can talk after. But the giving of the word of God was not the elimination of the spirit of God. Paul is making that very clear right here. He's saying you have these truths of the gospel and the word, but you have to have the Holy Spirit if those are going to go deeper than just your head and get into your heart so that then they get out into your life and in the world. You're going to have to see that the Holy Spirit is not a buzz to be felt. It's not a fix to be given, but is a person to live and step with in the stuff of everyday life, taking the truth of God's Word and ingraining it into the core of who you are. This is why in our church we oftentimes take the time to ask this question in everything we do when we read God's Word, when we pray together, is why is the Spirit revealing this to me now? We're not after just having Bible studies. We're after having encounters with God through the power of His Word. Which leads us to our last point. Not just that we go deeper in our love for one another and deeper in our experience of the Gospel, but ultimately all these things leading that we go deeper in in our exaltation of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's mission is to put the spotlight on Jesus. How does it end? What is this power according to? It's the power according that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him as his right hand in heavenly places. We have a shallow view of Jesus at times. A view of Jesus, again, he was and he will be, but not a view of a Jesus who actually is now who seated his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is not nowhere now. He is somewhere now. He is reigning. He is ruling. And there's no rule, authority, power, dominion, or any other name that even rivals him whether on earth or in the realm of the spiritual realities that are all around us that we can't see, Jesus is supreme. His reign is not shallow. His reign is deep. His reign is wide. His reign covers all things. And it does so forever. If you have a shallow view of Jesus, you will have a shallow view of love and a shallow view of what it means to experience. You'll think, I think I've kind of had all the Jesus I can get. There's no boundaries to the reign of Christ. There's no boundaries to the person of Christ. And if that doesn't blow our minds, here are verses 22 and 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things, underlining this right here, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What in the world does this mean? It's that the ex, the ex, exaltation of Jesus, his greatness, his glory, his supreme reign over all things is for the church. And we have to say this because if we're honest, a lot of, a lot of people don't think too highly of the church. Probably all of us are in here have kind of been there, right? We're a church plant, right? Let's just be honest. You don't have a church plant if you think, oh, church is nailing it, right? We think there are other great churches in this city and county and area, many great ones doing many great things, but we don't feel like there is an a overabundance of people living in a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for all the saints that overflows into our everyday lives so that people see Jesus as not merely a ticket to heaven, but as a joy to be found that changes everything. But we can't swing the pendulum too far and forget that Jesus loves the church. The church is his bride. If you say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, then it's like walking up to a man and saying, hey, I love you, but your wife, she is ugly. And I don't want anything to do with her. It's like walking up to someone and saying, you know what, your head is beautiful, but your body is horrible. I hate it. I don't want nothing to do with it. See how that goes today. But we live in a culture, and I'm not, where we've actually at times as the church given people good reason to live in such a contradiction. Because there's times where the church, as it were, has forgot who its head is. Where the church has acted as if, hey, Jesus, you're just our mascot. But if we see Jesus for whom he is exalted, and we see Jesus as whom he's for, his body and his bride for the blessing of all peoples, then we have nowhere to go but deep. I have children, and as I get older, I realize, wow, my parents weren't perfect, but they did a lot of stuff for me I didn't know. I had the appreciation of them that was as shallow as my understanding of what they did for me. But as I've got older and I've seen more of who they are and all their imperfections, my appreciation has risen. The more I see, the older my kids get, the higher that appreciation rises. And the greater my love grows for them. It is with Jesus. If you think you already know everything there is to know about Jesus, you're just, we're just wrong. We're going to spend all of eternity exploring the greatness of Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit is here so that the future breaks into the present. And so that we get deeper and deeper glimpses of His glory and of His grace. And as we get more humbled by His grace and His glory and His work for us, then we become deeper people. Not with a deeper doctrinal statement only, but with a deeper love and a deeper relationship. Because it changes us. Our faith isn't flimsy. Our belief in our forgiveness isn't easily shaken because we know he's risen from the dead. Maybe this morning you're thinking, wow, there's no way I can be forgiven. If you knew what I've done, if you knew what I'm thinking right now, Doesn't mean you have a low view of yourself, that means you have a low view of Jesus. Because ever how great a sinner you are, he is a greater Savior. If you think my life is totally out of control right now, nothing really matters. That's not just a depressing view of life, that's a depressing view of Jesus. Because the reality is is right now he is on the throne reigning for you. And he has said, I'm giving you the same power that enabled me to live the life, the Holy Spirit to live in and through you. I just want us to imagine as we prepare to go to the Lord's table this morning, what it would look like for us around our everyday tables. Our everyday tables to be going deeper in love for one another. To tell your roommates, to tell your spouse, tell your children, to tell your parents, to tell your friends. Here, I love you, and here's why. What it would look like to the tables of people who aren't just rushing through life, rushing through being a Christian, but actually taking time to ask the Holy Spirit to put the light of the gospel in your heart through His Word. And then to dare to do that with a group of very imperfect people. Known as the church. Father, we thank you for the glory of Christ, for the presence and power of the Spirit, and for the love that you have for us. As we come to your table now, may we taste and see these good news truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, each week as we gather, we come to the Lord's table not as an empty religious ritual but as a response to the gospel that Jesus commanded us to do for our good and for our joy so that the word would not merely be heard but that we would taste that we would touch the fact that it is finished so that we would know that we only love God and one another because he first loved us if you're a follower of Jesus we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us we come around the tables but if you're not we invite you to come and stand with us so you can hear us share together the love of Christ. And ultimately, we invite you to come to Jesus. If you would like to talk more about that, I'll be available afterwards. So what we normally do is we divide kind of down the center. So if you're on this side, you can come stand around this table. If you're on this side, you can come stand around this table. Wait just a second. Because we want to we want to ask a couple questions. If you're new with us, don't feel any pressure to say anything, but know you're welcome to. Is where may you need to repent and believe And you want to share that in boldness because you're holding in your hand the guarantee of your forgiveness. Where may you need to ask for healing or help? Where might you need to say, I need need healing in my body, and my soul, and my mind? Maybe you need to share what good news sounds like for you. Or maybe there's someone in your group who right now you need to just go ahead and encourage. Or maybe you need to pull away to the side and have a conversation with. Whatever it is, we're going to take a moment here now and ask God's spirit that he would show us so that we might come to the table and rest in Christ. Father, now open our eyes and lighten the eyes of our heart to your word as we come to your table.